0: You know, I love to eat meat. I do. I, I love a burger. I love chicken. But recently, I learned that my next meatball sub could be grown in a lab. Food companies may be starting to grow cells outside animals to create meat. Companies say their goal is to sell to Americans within the year. That raises the question, what even is meat? Either way, I'll still see you at the sandwich line. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. Here are a couple headlines I'm watching this week. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services is seeking public input on creating a national directory of healthcare providers and services. Directories can help patients locate providers and compare health plan networks. Those already do exist right now, but the existing ones often contain inaccurate information that rarely support easy data exchange or public health reporting and cost a lot for the healthcare industry. A national directory could cut costs and boost data sharing. The World Health Organization is reporting more and deadlier cholera outbreaks. This year, 27 countries have reported outbreaks, including Syria and Haiti. The average case fatality rate so far this year is almost triple the rate of the past five years, according to the World Health Organization director. And now I've got my colleague Daniel Payne here to talk about the rules around opioid drug classification.
1: Hey, Ben. Glad to be
0: here. So in a letter on Tuesday, more than 100 researchers and public health professionals said that they want fentanyl-related substances to no longer be Schedule I drugs because of the restrictions associated with them make it harder to research and study them. This isn't a new request from these people, but can you take me through some of the recent advocacy on it?
1: Sure. So like you said, this isn't a new request. Uh, In fact, lawmakers on the Hill just a couple months ago sent a fairly similar letter on this. But the general idea is there's no need to make these fentanyl related substances, schedule one drugs automatically, that there needs to be sort of a slowdown and thinking a little bit more carefully about which of these drugs could maybe be helpful and be therapeutic in the future. And which of them really do need to be schedule one drugs that, that have these hefty restrictions on them. So these researchers are saying that these restrictions are going to make it harder to research and we need to get new therapeutics to combat the opioid epidemic. And with these restrictions, it's going to be much harder to
0: do that. Just hearing you talk about this, I was wondering, you know, are there any potential downsides to changing the classification here that the researchers discussed or anyone else has talked about?
1: So the Biden administration has essentially said that we need to forcefully fight the opioid epidemic. And in order to do that, we need to put these restrictions on fentanyl-like substances. And other lawmakers have said this, too. I mean, Senator Grassley said recently that unless we have these strong restrictions out of the gate, it'll be like playing whack-a-mole. We'll be perpetually trying to find new opioids that could be harmful, and put up new restrictions, and it will all be, be behind the curve. He's pointing to law enforcement that are saying essentially the same thing, saying, if we don't get ahead of this, we're going to keep just lagging behind and chasing the next opioid that, that is out there and causing real problems, causing lots of overdose deaths. And the Biden administration is trying to say that we need to make it a Schedule One drug. At least this was the argument back in 2021. Make it a Schedule One drug. And then as we find out, that they could have therapeutic value, make a fast track system within HHS that would allow those restrictions to fall away.
0: So, I guess I'm I'm wondering how likely is the Biden administration, you know, going to take action, take heed of these people's calls?
1: It's hard to tell. Um, you know, Congress has re-upped these measures several times. Right now, it's a temporary measure that's in place that is allowing these fentanyl-related substances to be Schedule One drugs. But the question is, what's the permanent decision going to be? And it's still up in the air. You know, there are some lawmakers who side with these researchers and say that this is moving too quickly on substances that there are a lot of unknowns about, saying that the government needs to really prove that these belong in the Schedule One category, which means that they have no therapeutic use and that they have a high risk of
0: abuse I guess I'm curious also about the politics of this. I know fentanyl has become somewhat of a political weapon against, you know, the Biden administration. Are there clear sides between the parties?
1: I don't know that there are, but it is a big deal. I mean, I think that people, that voters, are seeing lots of overdose deaths and have been for a long time, and want to see policymakers do something about it. And both sides here are saying the best way to handle this is by doing things our way. So. Uh, you know, traditionally the Biden administration and, and some other lawmakers have said the way to handle this is to put in heavy restrictions first and then figure out which drugs could be therapies in the future. Other lawmakers and these researchers on Tuesday said, no, we need to be able to have open access to these drugs to study them. That way we can find a, th- a cure or, or a therapy, I should say, fast uh, and faster than we would otherwise be able to. It harkens back to... Other drugs that are Schedule 1 drugs that researchers are saying maybe shouldn't be. I'm thinking about psychedelics that now some researchers are looking at and thinking there might be potential for certain mental health issues. uh, But that access for researching those drugs uh, was closed off and, and was really difficult for a while because they were considered Schedule 1.
0: Yeah, so, you know, on the psychedelics cannabis side of things curious how these fentanyl related substances this push compares to the policy and politics of you know those pushes
1: I think that it's definitely in the minds of lawmakers they're yeah. particularly the people who are saying that fentanyl related substances should not be schedule one drugs right out of the gate are thinking back to you know cannabis thinking back to uh, psychedelics and saying, The government needs to really prove that these are as harmful as they say they are before they put these restrictions in place. Of course, other people on the other side of the issue, I'm sure, would say that fentanyl is a lot more serious. And fentanyl-related drugs can be much more serious than, say, cannabis is as a public health problem and the number of people who are dying each
0: year. Thanks so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ben. Now, before we go, one part of the opioid conversation that Daniel and I didn't talk about is the regulation of drugs that are being used to help wean people off opioids.
2: Buprenorphine, buprenorphine, buprenorphine.
0: <laughs> this is Jason Gibbons. He's a postdoctoral fellow at Johns Hopkins University.
2: And I am a health economist by training.
0: We asked him if he could say buprenorphine three times fast. As you can hear, he delivered. He also researches it.
2: Uh, So our study compared opioid overdose risk and healthcare spending in months where Medicare patients were continuously treated with buprenorphine relative to months where they experienced a gap in their treatment. And what we found was that in treatment gap months relative to treated months, uh, there was a 50 to 300% higher risk of opioid overdose. Further, in treatment gap months, uh, medical and healthcare spending was about $86 to $366 higher. Now, if we extrapolate these findings to larger opioid use disorder populations over a longer time period, we think that improving buprenorphine adherence could possibly translate to thousands of fewer overdoses and healthcare spending reductions in the millions of dollars. There are three sort of major implications for policy and practice. I think first and foremost, we need to do a much better job of monitoring patient adherence to buprenorphine. Um, Clinicians need to be engaging with their patients about issues they have in accessing their medications, and potentially even using these new adherence monitoring technologies to measure the level of adherence better. And if they do identify an issue with patient adherence, they might consider exploring alternative treatment strategies. So we know that extended-release buprenorphine injections are particularly effective for people with low adherence because they have a half-life of about 43 to 60 days. They might also incorporate telehealth into their practices, which was proven to increase adherence to buprenorphine during the COVID 19 pandemic. And finally, on the policy side, we need to improve insurance coverage of ancillary services that connect people to care, like housing, transportation, and childcare services. These have been common access barriers that have been identified in other studies that have reduced buprenorphine adherence.
0: And that's our show. Our music is by the Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyn, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmed is the executive producer of Audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.